Hey guys, welcome to Level Up Rewind. These are throwback bite-sized clips for anyone that wants to tune in on the go. Would you mind starting off, you know, telling us a little bit about your story and what inspired your research and your famous TED Talk? Oh, gosh, that's going back lots of years. But um, I was always one of those little kids that asked why and it kind of went through. And when I got to university, I was on the crew team or the rowing team and we were training as groups of men and women doing pretty much the same stuff, same workouts. And it always seemed like the guys would peak at the right time and the girls would kind of fall flat. And at the same time in an ex-phys class and started doing uh, lab experiments, you know, as you do as you're trying to learn stuff. And I would be one of the only women that would volunteer to be a participant. And then my results would often get thrown out as being anomalies. And so I started asking these questions, why? And they're like, oh, you know, because you're not the same and we don't really study women. So it's just, and so all of those kind of answers didn't sit well. Mm. I'm like, wait, I'm a girl, <laughs> right? And started trying to really figure it out and monitoring like menstrual cycle and trying to understand how that might, because you all always talk about how your mood affects your performance and realize this really started to be kind of like this interesting pattern of when it was high hormone phase feeling crappy and not performing well. And then when the low hormone phase came, it was like you could really nail it. And saw some of that kind of coming out in the lab results where my results would be very similar to the men when I was in the low hormone, but mm. they'd throw them out when I was in the high hormone. So that really kind of instigated my questioning. And all of the time going through being an elite athlete and having the training programs and all the sociocultural things around it about not talking about your periods, being amenorrheic as being a good thing. And none of that's that well either. Mm -hmm. So having the advantage of being an academic as well as an athlete, I was able to really dig in and really start to find answers to these questions and fighting the whole way through, like being told, well, why do you want to study women? We don't know enough about men, or you're not a real scientist. You do too much in the population because I'm not a bench scientist. Oh so really goodness. fighting that patriarchal, patriarchal experience all the way through. Um, and that kind of, you know, accumulated in what I talked about in the TED Talk of saying, you know, all of these things come through. You have all these ideas, these myths, how all these things are supposed to benefit women. But in reality, it ends up putting us in this box that we keep fighting against. So mm -hmm. diet trends, we're fighting against the results because we're not finding the results that we want, primarily because it's data from men. And we know from birth, we have sex differences more and more research now in the past five years is starting to explore that and explain it. And then coming on podcasts like yours, where you guys are really pushing the messaging of like women are different. We have these things that are different that make us more powerful than someone who's not aware. And um, I think the conversations are starting to be had. And so when I did the TED talk, it was just kind of at the beginning of that. And now that I see that there's like this wider reach of people are really, um, like resonating with the messaging from that TED talk saying, yeah, women are not small men. So it kind of puts me where we are. Mm, that's Thanks. incredible. And I think um, you, you said it very well. Like it's really only the last five years that the message is really starting to be pushed. And I'm even finding it's not even just females, but a lot of male coaches are starting to recognize it, starting to wanting uh, learn to understand more about physiology, about the period, about the cycle and how they can optimize their female athletes. So it's really cool to be able to see your work really come through and then have platforms like this to be able to spread that message even further. 
Yeah. And part of me wonders if like, because women are now becoming more comfortable about talking about having a period or being on an OC or, you know, some of the issues that come around a menstrual cycle, if that's driving the male coach to find out more about it, or my hope is that the male coach is wanting to know more about it to empower their female athletes. Mm. Might be the hope. But I'm hoping that it's becoming more and more of the men wanting to understand to be able to get more out of their female athletes rather than, oh, I have to understand this because I keep getting questions about it. Mm. Yeah, well, the more that us women band together and, you know, are proud to talk about it, they don't have a chance if they don't want to get around it. I mean, I remember in high school to talk about your period was like one of the most embarrassing things that you could do do just because of the stigma around it. Yeah. I remember having to rush to the toilets and like doing what I need Put to do. Put your tampon my, up your sweater. The, yeah, the paddle, the tampon in <laughs> your sweater <laughs> sleeve, you know, and, and I would always write notes for PE to, to get out of it when I had it, just not because I was ashamed, but just because I didn't want people's reaction to it. Everyone mm. was so uncomfortable. So right. I love that slowly we're becoming more confident to be able to talk about it because it is what it is. And what you said in your talk, 50%, if not more, of the population of, of women. So maybe the men are the anomalies, you know? Exactly. So, hey. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, if, when you're talking about high school and stuff, I remember a friend coming over and, you know, growing up in the States, you all have the community pool, right? And we we're all excited to go cool off in the middle of summer at the end of school, right? Because we go up to June, it's really hot. And she's like, oh, I can't go. And I'm like, why not? I have my period. Yep. So, but it was to her, like, even with tampon, she couldn't go into the pool because she was afraid. Oh. And she was embarrassed to tell me until it came to the very last minute of, oh, I have to tell my friend because I don't want to get swimming. And that always stuck with me. I was like, mm. hmm. Something, you know, inherent. So I don't want my daughter to ever experience that. That's another motivating factor. Mm. All those taboos that we grew up with, right? Let's just X them. Yeah. Let's get and rid of them. It's one thing to um, feel embarrassed or shame about the normal, but then there's this other side where like reproductive diseases and endo and PCOS and women are feeling more comfortable to voice their concerns and their, yeah. um, you know, their training and their nutrition and how to optimize that. So it's, you know, I feel like if we can, if we can speak about the normal and what to expect, it also allows these other women who are experiencing side effects and feeling abnormal, be able to speak openly about that and then hopefully push research and everything in that direction because you know as you said um a lot of the research is done on men and it's really yep. it's not even just in fitness like absolutely but even in health and and medicine in general like a lot of the um the population and the sample is is male so even myself going through a lot of research and trying to become a better coach it is hard to be able to generalize that to a lot of my clients who are you know reproductive females and be able to say look this is what the research says but you know it's all based on men so you're really yeah. stepping into that space and um providing that which is awesome oh thanks yeah it's a funny world man you think about it it's like someone comes out with this big media blase about new research and we should do this we should do that and then it disseminates down to on men it's like well, then when you ask the question what about women they're like crickets you don't hear anything mm, yeah and now we have sort of a world of social media and influences and the messages can get mixed up because yeah obviously Sherelle and I are heavily in the fitness industry and I know most of your research is on sporting performance as well but it's much of a muchness you know but um yeah. we're really uh stopping the separation between health and fitness because there is 
a difference really for us to get lean on stage as a competitor often health was put in the wayside and oh it's normal to lose your period and all of that so I'm excited to be able to talk about some of the differences between males and females when it does come to nutrition training performance and all of that Um, so if if I could ask you what the number one difference is I suppose between males and females when it does come to nutrition what would that be? Oh, so from a physiological and biological standpoint, the number one um, sex difference is this neuropeptide called kisspeptin. Now, kisspeptin is very sensitive to um, the nutritional status in both men and women. But the threshold for turning off the endocrine system is way lower in men than it is in women. So women are very sensitive to missteps in caloric intake, to carbohydrate, um, and some of the first things you start to see when kisspeptin starts to get downturn is thyroid dysfunction, lowering of your resting metabolic rate. And then a few months down the line, you start having really irregular periods or a, a misstep in what your regularity is of like really heavy bleeding for two days and then it stops as opposed to five or six days of your normal cycle. So when we're talking about like men being on fasted diets or keto diets, it's because the threshold for a perturbation is so much different than it is for women. And this is where I think a lot of that nutrition um, information starts to become a misstep, where we assume that everything from a threshold standpoint and from a genomic standpoint is the same. And even right down to muscle mitochondria, you know, the oxygen powerhouse, right? There's different gene expressions that get turned on through estrogen um, in women that don't get turned on by men. So from a metabolic efficiency standpoint, where you're trying to do like higher fat, lower carb works for men because they don't have the same genetic predisposition for having a greater capacity for fatty acid oxidation. Mm. Women are there. And the more exposure that they have to low carb, the more that kisspeptin gets picked up. So it's a very fine nuance. And this is where that conversation in the nutrition space becomes so convoluted because all this data keeps being pulled over from, you know, male data. But then when you dig down into a little bit deeper into endocrinology, into physiology, into some of the genetic stuff, you start seeing why we have these sex differences in responses. Mm. That's really interesting. That is really interesting because all we hear about, right, is testosterone and estrogen. So it's, it's you know, and it's ve- that's very black and white. It's like, oh, yeah, men have 10 times more testosterone. And that's all that gets thrown around. Um, and it makes me question, you know, all these um, macro calculators and, and you know, the numbers mm-hmm. just mattering the most. It's, there's so much more to nutrition than just carbs, protein, and fat. Oh, so much more. Like we know specifically from research that's come out in the past three years, it's not about the total calorie intake. It's about the timing of when you're eating and how often you have protein doses. And it's different in men and women, like especially Mm. when you're looking at stopping that catabolic state. So recovery post-exercise, sex differences there too. So the longer you withhold food and the longer you stay in that catabolic state, the more you feed back to that kisspeptin, right? So if you're in this mm. breakdown state and kisspeptin's like, whoa, I need food, it gets that signaling in women to that metabolic cascade of turning down resting metabolic rate. But for men, it's like, I'm in this breakdown state. Okay, well, I'm going to start releasing more amino acids and start trying to fix that problem. Mm. And this is where we look at if you back end your calories in the morning and the night and you stay in this breakdown state the whole time in between, which is 
pretty much intermittent fasting for the most part. In women, you start to put on belly fat and turn down your resting metabolic rate and get endocrine dysfunction. But for men, they lean up a little bit more and they lose body fat because their body's trying to get them out of that state instead of succumbing to that state. It's the mm. complete opposite, isn't it? Wow. And all you yeah. hear about in the fitness space these days is how carbs are bad, how mm. keto is great for performance and mental clarity. And it's just, it's yep. just BS, a lot of it. It's really important to know how important like carbohydrates are, like to fuel your training, to be able to like train hard and grow the muscle tissue that you want and optimize like your body composition yep. by the sounds of it. Yeah. And even like in, I talk about how men do so well in low carb stuff, but if they don't have carbohydrate with their protein, then their testosterone drops. Like you Mm. need carbohydrate with protein to get that anabolic response and keep that testosterone boost to get what they want out of muscle hypertrophy and muscle repair. And women, you need carbohydrate and, and protein, of course, for muscle protein synthesis, but also to help keep that kispeptin turning over to keep endocrine function up. It's very Mm. sensitive particularly to the carbohydrate intake. So there's little nuances of, of why you need to mix them and when you need to mix them between men and women. They're different responses. Mm-hmm.